0: pencils down the trading deadline is over and the indians came away with six players and they dealt mike clevenger i'm justin Ladd. this is smoke signals i'm joined by our tribe beat reporter john vanta john what a day first of all you've been all over today Uh, The unfortunate passing of John Thompson, uh, legendary college basketball coach. You've been all over that all day, uh, having to cover that, unfortunately. And then the Indians trade. How how are you keeping things straight today? Justin, I need coffee
1: because as we're recording, we've got an 8-10 game covering between the Indians and the Royals. And it's Shane Bieber night. Maybe. I feel like I'm jinxing him here. Although I don't believe you can jinx Shane Bieber. Maybe it'll fly a little bit tonight at Kauffman Stadium. I got to be honest, though. It seems like as the season has gone on, the games have gone longer. Like, I'll never complain but because I'm not a complainer. But I can't help but notice we've had a couple of games go. I mean, this past weekend in St. Louis, we had two four-hour games uh, before Sundays. But you know what? Uh, Hanging in. Got to say, first time on the beat that I've really covered a trade deadline day. And when you accompany that with a basketball Titan and John Thompson leaving us uh, today at the age of 78, an absolute legend, uh, he defined that word in, in more ways than one, that it's been a busy day here. But you know what? Uh, I think the, the immediate thought that I have on this day for the Indians is they are an organization that has to, to look at their financial sh- situation, uh, but also try to find that, that balance of sustainability. They do not want to be in the zone that the Royals and the Tigers are in. And I just don't think there was a great upgrade offensively for them in place that made total sense for them. And I, I think that's why the deck of cards that was dealt today is, is what it is. I know that fans out there wanted to see the big splash, wanted to see them move the needle with a big-time bat. Uh, that that was not this deal. But uh, for us here at Indians Baseball Insider, there's a lot to dive into because they are looking at their future. They got some pieces for the present. We're not going to know about this deal, though, and how much it pays off for the future. And uh, if it pays off for the future, that means that potentially, I-, I know that this is this is an interesting way of looking at it, but that means that potentially here, your shortstop position going forward, uh, do we see Gabriel Arias play that type of role down the road? The Indians certainly hope that.
0: Yeah, he is one of six pieces in this trade. So overall, if you haven't heard by now, if you've been living under a rock uh, on August 31st, (laughs) uh, it's Mike Mike Clevenger, Greg Allen, and a player to be named later. We can get into that a little bit later. Um, From what we're hearing, it's Matt Waldron, who was a uh, a, a 2019 draft pick. So we can hit on that a little bit later. The Indians are getting outfielder slash first baseman Josh Naylor uh pitcher Cal Quantrill who we think is a reliever this year maybe a starter long term we'll see uh catcher Austin Hedges who will immediately be the backup uh like you said Gabriel Arias the shortstop who might be the key to this deal long term Joey Cantillo who is a left-hand starting pitcher with great uh command and makeup and a good change up and then Owen Miller a solid hitting uh middle infielder I think really John, if you need coffee, I think you should ask what kind of coffee A.J. Preller drinks. Because A.J. Preller made, what, six trades this deadline? Is that right?
1: Yes, he made six trades, and one that that came after the deadline in terms of when it was reported. I was kind of laughing, and and I know that everybody, you know, has their insider of choice. But I did think Bob Nightingale from USA Today uh, made a funny point when after the deadline – he said something to the uh, something to the effect. I'm taking a look here uh, that the Padres. Oh, you know what? No, it was Ken Rosenthal, um, mm. I believe, made the made the note of yeah. You know the Padres made another trade. Uh, of course they did. They made one final trade uh, today to get. I think it was another arm. Just to end the- it was a reliever. It was a reliever. Yeah. So, you know that was the kind of that was the kind of trade deadline it was. It's been the year of S- Slam Diego. Uh, for the Padres, they have a great future. We knew that, but it looks like that future has arrived right now because they have the most compelling player in the sport, Fernando Tatis, uh, on a team that has Manny Machado on it and several other pieces. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with Mike Clevenger. He's going to be their game one starter in the playoffs. Like, that's going to happen, and that's who you got today in this trade. Uh, for Cleveland, we're going to have to wait and see, but – if there's anything that the past has shown us, it's that the Indians have a knack for developing talent. It's the way that you have to structure your organization uh, with where they are financially. And I, I think that when you look at six pieces, let's see let's see how things pan out. I think in the present pieces that they got for the now, they see some untapped potential because certain guys um, have not exactly gotten their full chance to show what they have. And I, I think the, the most notable of that is Josh Naylor, the outfielder. And we'll see what his role is in the outfield and how that type of fit works out. But it's the Indians' plan to try to factor him in there.
0: Yeah, he is certainly the piece that is going to matter probably the most in 2020. And we'll see after that. And we're going to get all of that in a breakdown uh, with a special interview. And after the interview, we will. Uh, get back to talk about the trade more. But uh, coming up next, John, we have.
1: Well, on today's Smoke Signals, we do
0: have the special guest with the Indians
1: and Padres making this mega deal. We welcomed in Fox Sports 1360 AM, extra 1360 out in San Diego. He is the co-host of the Padres post-game shows out there, the wrap up show with John Schaefer as well. It's Jim Russell who took a deep dive on this trade with us and gave us the San Diego. Our guest tonight on Smoke Signals is coming to us all the way out from San Diego. He's at Extra 1360 Fox Sports Radio in SD. He's the co-host of the wrap-up show with John Schaefer after Padres games. They've certainly had a lot of fun to talk about with Slam Diego doing their thing and the Indians and Padres linking up. With the pre-trade deadline deal to send Mike Clevenger to San Diego, it's Jim Russell who is joining us here on IBI Smoke Signals. And Jim, we've talked about the details of this trade that's that's been detailed. We'll dive in a little bit further. But what is your reaction to the Padres acquiring Mike Clevenger?
2: First off, thanks for having me, guys. Really. First uh, and is uh, they're they're going for it. This is A.J. Preller's moment. He's been general manager for six years now. He made around the trade, has been towards future. Get prospects. Give away player prospects. And this was... I... give up. When now, my club deal was... The shining moment of AJ Preller as general manager because every. It's going to start on Wednesday. And this was that big move that all Padres fans were waiting for. And in Padres land here, uh, Mike Clevenger to them is, is kind of like the missing piece. It's kind of like the missing piece to uh, make a run at a World Series. How
1: surprised were you at six total? Deals made by A.J. Proud.
2: Uh, not so at all. This guy never sleeps. He's always on the phone. He is always <laughs> checking in with every single team on every single player. If you have a heartbeat and you play Major League Baseball, A.J. Preller has checked in to see if you're available. He is the type of guy who we saw in 2015 when he first became general manager. He made a flurry of trades before the season started, getting Justin Upton. Uh, Matt Kemp, Will Myers, James Shields signed him. So he's known to do this in the past, and now it's not surprising at all to see him make six trades at the deadline. The only thing that's surprising is they have 24 games, I believe, left in the season and how it's all going to shape out for the Padres, being it that this season is so short and how all these moves are going to affect this team, which, I mean, this team's playing some of the best baseball they've played in over a decade, and they're the second-best team in the National League right now standings-wise, or at least record-wise. So it's going to be a little interesting to see how that all meshes, but A.J. Preller, not surprised one bit.
0: Jim, thanks for joining us. Uh, obviously, the, the Padres have been looking for an ace for a couple of years. You know there's been a lot of smoke going back to last year with maybe them being interested in Trevor Bauer, them being a fit to reacquire uh, Corey Kluber into their system. And now Mike Clevenger. So I have a two-part question: Why? Why do you think they think Mike Clevenger is the right fit to lead this staff into a long window of contention with a really solid core? And also, why not turn to any of their, their prospect arms? Why not turn to a Mackenzie Gore or Elise Patino or Adrian Morajon? Why? Why acquire Mike Clevenger? I understand they held on to those guys, but why? Why go Mike Clevenger now and and deal from your farm system when you have arms that are, are highly regarded and might be ready to help you you know as soon as this year
2: yeah so the first part of that right there is Mike Clevenger not only is frontline starter but he has control so he's controllable for a couple more years and I think AJ Preller didn't make a move for a guy like a Trevor Bauer right now uh because AJ. Preler is keen on getting guys that he can control. I know that he did he did make some trades this year for guys like Trevor Rosenthal for free agents after the year. But Mike Clevenger is a guy that they've been a long time is a front line starter, and they they really haven't had that here in San Diego. Chris Paddock, he's had some struggles this year. He's the type of guy they view as possibly a front line guy, but he still has to prove it to Nelson Lamette. He's come on the scene this year as being a a quote unquote ace. So this team views Mike Clevenger as you know a frontline guy that's controllable, and, and I think to your second part of the question, why didn't they bring up like uh, Mackenzie Gore or they have Luis Patino or Adrian Morehone, Uh They view those guys as not ready yet. I, I think we've all been talking about Mackenzie Gore here in San Diego. He's one of, if not the best pitching prospects in all of baseball, and we've been asking why not bring up Mackenzie Gore? Why not bring up Mackenzie Gore? Well. The answer to that is they don't feel like he's ready yet. They, they feel like he needs a little more seasoning down at the minors, and it's hard because there's no really minor league system this year to go down and pitch and, and practice and, you and know, get better. So for him to just be vaulted up to the big leagues without any more seasoning, I think they're not ready to do that just yet. And I think that's why they turned to try to get, and that they did complete, get a Mike Clevenger because they're not comfortable yet with giving the reins over to Mackenzie Gore when they are in postseason contention and looking like, you know, right now, World Series contenders.
1: Jim Russell is our guest. Jim is the co-host of the wrap-up show. After Padres games, it's on 1360 Fox Sports Radio in San Diego. That's extra 1360. And Jim, what do you make of the haul that the Indians got in return?
2: Well, from a Padres aspect, there were some gripes about giving up Cal Quantrill uh, on Hedges just because the the pitching staff loves him here. But to me, I think if you're an Indians fan, the biggest piece of this deal is going to be going to be Gabriel Arias. He's the number one, number seven rated prospect in the Padres organization. The thing with Gabriel Arias is they just don't have a spot for him here. They have Fernando Tatis Jr. They have CJ Abrams, and Arias is a guy that is going to be blocked so I think that it was time to look to get him moved on and this is a guy that he's great defensively he has an above average arm he's a guy that just started hitting for power last year the only problem with him is he strikes out a lot but if he can get disciplined at the plate he has a lot of upside potential and you know in Cleveland Francisco Lindor that situation there don't know if he's going to stay with the club or if they're going to end up moving him. So Gabriel Arias is, is a smart uh, play for the Indians. But looking at some of the big leaguers that they're getting in return that I'm sure are going to play right away. Cal Quantrill, uh, I'm sure for the Padres, was a, was a hard player to give up because he is a guy who has been viewed as, you know, a guy with a rubber arm. He, he was a first-round draft pick by this team. He started 18 games for them last year. He has a high 90s fastball. Uh, he's pitched out of the bullpen predominantly this year. He's even closed-gamed for the Padres this year. So I think if you, you give Cal Quantrill, like, okay, you're just going to start for us, and just we're going to let you go, I think he can excel. Um, and you look at Josh Naylor. He's a guy that, again, didn't have a spot with this team. He's an outfielder that got, you know, spot starts here and there, but he never really got the opportunity to play every day. He's only 23 years old. He's a left-handed power bat. He has upside. He can play some first base. Um, he can DH for you as well. He had, a, he had a two-run homer yesterday in Colorado, and I jokingly said to my co-host, John Schaefer, that might have been his last at bat as a Padre, and ironically enough, that was his last at bat as a San Diego Padre. So I think the haul for the Indians, while it might not look like the best because they didn't get a top, top-level prospect from the Padres, you're still going to get some players that I think could help this team Right away, um, but as far as you know, a top top prospect, it's they, they didn't get that. But Gabriel Arias, who who says that he couldn't be that guy for them moving forward to play shortstop, whatever happens with uh, Francisco Lindor,
0: Jim. I'm glad you brought those guys up because what we do here in <laughs> Baseball Insider most of the time is we focus on prospects. So obviously, those two guys you just mentioned, Arias, and then we didn't mention. Uh, Joey Cantillo yet, slot right into the Indian system. And obviously San Diego, you know, Van Graves has Cantillo at 12 and Gabriel Aries at 16. Now, obviously on a different system, those guys might be top 10 prospects because San Diego owns maybe the deepest farm system, at least on the West Coast, maybe not named the Dodgers. So luckily I've had a chance to see Arias and Cantillo a little bit because they play Lake County out here in the Midwest League. And I don't really have a whole lot of recollection of Arius, but people I talked to today and, and who have seen him a little bit more and know a little more said that there is a lot of, I'm not going to say he's going to be Javi Baez, but there are a lot of those tools both physically and, and on the diamond. He, he seems to have, does that sound about right? Is that how he's kind of viewed? Yeah, it, that
2: that's, that's what I would say. He's viewed there. I, I wouldn't probably say Javi Baez just yet, but it, I mean, who says he doesn't have the potential to be that he, he, I think he, he does. Um, he is one of those guys who is, is a very smooth defender, and he has a rocket arm. Um, you know, that's what Javi Baez is. He's very smooth and he has a rocket arm. Uh, the, the hitting thing for me with him, he just recently started hitting for more power, and that's a good sign because you, you project that moving forward uh, into the big league level there. The only problem with him is, is, is his strikeouts. He strikes out a lot. His plate discipline – isn't quite major league level ready yet. And that's going to take some time for him. But if he can be coached up and if the Indians in that organization can get him to have some more discipline behind the plate, then, I mean, the the Gabriel Arias situation would have not been Francis moves on and you can slide in Gabriel Arias into that shortstop role.
1: Jim, the Indians – seem to be giving off the idea that they think there's untapped potential with Josh Naylor because he doesn't strike out a lot. They like the fact that he has a lot of hard hit contact. Do you agree with the thought that there's untapped potential?
2: Oh yeah, I, I totally agree. The problem with Josh Naylor is he just never got enough playing time here. He, he, he was blocked the start of the season by Tommy Pham. And then, and then when Tommy Pham went down, uh, Jake Cronenworth in and is rookie of the of the year in the National League, and this team loves what Jerks and Profar brings to the table, so he became the new left fielder. So uh, with Josh Naylor, even, you know the, the couple years that he's been here, there's just been really no spot for him to just be put in and play every day. And for what it seems like is the Indians are going to put him in left field or put him in the outfield. And just let him play every day. And I think that's the best case for Josh Nillard is not worry about how much playing time you get. You just be put out there, play every day. And, I mean, he's hitting 273 on the year. It's only 36 at bats. But still, he does have a lot of upside. And he has the potential to be like a, you know, 20 to 25 home run guy if he plays every single day. Mm He has, he's got some speed. The good thing about Josh Naylor is he slimmed down a lot over this offseason. He did come into the the, uh, the year last year a little bit overweight. That was a little bit of a problem for him. But coming into this year, especially the uh, the summer camp 2.0, he lost a lot of weight. So that's that's a good upside for Josh Naylor there if you're an Indians fan.
0: Yeah, do you think he's an outfielder long-term? I think that's the biggest concern is right now he slots into the outfield. Maybe he plays first base eventually, but how, how does he look in left field that's not his first position?
2: Yeah, that that was the thing is, is because, you know, he didn't really have many spots on the Padres, he slimmed down a lot so he could play the outfield and, and excel out there because he was carrying a little bit of extra weight last year, and it kind of hindered his defense. But for me, I would view Josh Naylor more of like a fringe outfielder slash first base DH guy. But for him, uh, he has – an okay arm and out in the outfield, not the greatest arm possible, but it doesn't mean that he can't improve on it. Um, the, the, the losing weight does help him to track down balls in the outfield. But for me, if, if you're going to put him in a spot right now to, to hopefully excel at, then yeah, I, I would put
1: him in the outfield um, and just let him play every day out there. You know, I, I think it's become some sort of a tradition here jim the indians padres yet another trade what do you make of that
2: yeah i I said it last night on the wrap-up show that this would be if the clevenger deal did happen the third trade between the indians and the padres in the last couple years here with the austin mejia or not excuse me the uh, francisco mejia and the brad hand deal and then the taylor trammell and the uh, fran mil reyes deal I think it's just kind of coincidence. Maybe AJ Preller just loves what he sees with the Indians organization, and he just continues to tap in and try to uh, get as many players as he can. Um, it's AJ Preller. I don't. He is going to look at everything and everything, and if he makes a trade with you four or five times in two years, it's just it's part of the norm for him. Is is basically what it what it what it's viewed out out here.
1: Let's turn to Joey Cantillo, the left-hander, a 2016 draft pick. The Indians have had their success uh, with their fair share of pitchers from the 2016 draft. Uh, What do you see in his potential?
2: Uh, He's a lefty. He's got a sneaky fastball, not not a high 90s fastball, but he does have a fastball that gets by bats, and that's a good thing if you're not throwing 97-98. Uh, he's a two-pitch pitcher right now: fastball, changeup, and he's working on uh, his breaking ball pitch uh, to become a three-pitch pitcher. Um, but for him, he's going to still need some seasoning. He's not—he's not ready, or anywhere close to ready, to be on the major league, uh, you know, roster of sorts. But he's a guy that you know is a lefty, and and I feel like uh, every team could could have as many lefties as possible. It's never going to be enough. Um, but for him, uh, fastball, changeup, guy. Does have good, uh, you know, swing and miss stuff on his fastball, um, but he's not going to blow anybody away. He's not going to throw ninety nine. He's not going to throw hundred. But, uh, but like I said, sneaky good fastball, get by his bats, and uh, mixed in with that changeup. Um, he's a guy that you know you can look at in two to three years, I'd say, to help out the Indians.
0: Jim, do you know much about him uh, personally? Maybe off the time a little bit because everything I've read says that he is a really good competitor on the mound and his day-to-day routines the makeup is just off the charts and that's something that the Indians um really really value especially among their pitchers is that something you think is accurate you know i,
2: I don't i don't fall i don't know much about him but from the the little time that i have uh, researched him and seen him and, and heard people talk about him that's that's pretty much spot, spot on as what you what you said there this guy is a competitor He wants to go out there and compete. He might not have the best stuff on the mound, but, you know, as you said there, if you go out on the mound and you just have the mindset of competing, that's one of the best qualities he's going to have for any type of pitcher. Um, So that is what he definitely brings to the table because he doesn't have the electric 100-mile-hour fastball or, you know, the crazy slider that goes in the back foot there. So for him, uh, biggest quality is he's going to go out there and compete every single day.
1: Well, Jim, another deal between the Tribe and the Padres. I think we've, we've hit on this one from a v- variety of angles here. Uh, the San Diego Padres getting Mike Clevenger, Greg Allen, a player to be named later uh, as well. But Clevenger, the headliner, and the Indians getting six total players, uh, both for the now but even more so. We're going to find out, Jim, I think, if this trade works for Cleveland. We're not finding out in 2020. We're finding out in the years to come if it ends up working out for them
2: yeah yeah this this trade for them this year is about a you know Cal Quantrill, Josh Naylor, Austin Hedges uh those guys are going to be on the club immediately but as far as the prospects go that they got in the deal you're right it's going to be a couple years before you see uh how well the Indians do it did and I think they did I think they did well I, I think they did good I'm sure some Indian fans would have hoped to get From the Padres, like maybe a Luis Patino or, uh, you know, C.J. Abrams. But uh, I think Gabriel Arias is going to be a a nice addition to to, uh, the Indians organization uh, long term, because here he was just he was just not going to get any playing time. And I think for the Indians uh, to give him potentially the the shortstop role with whatever happens with Francisco Lindor, uh, there's there's definitely upside there for sure.
1: Find him on the wrap-up show with John Schaefer after Padres games. That's Extra 1360 Fox Sports Radio in San Diego. It's Jim Russell. Jim, thanks for taking the time today to break down this trade all the way from out west. Guys, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun. All right, Justin, interesting perspective from Jim Russell. And we thank him again for joining us. And as he said, I I thought it was interesting. Uh, he agreed with the fact that we're not going to know about the Indians' result of this trade until the future down the road. But he did bring up the fact that the Padres have depth in their farm system. And I think that's something that followers do need to understand in this deal. And it's not tongue-in-cheek. The Padres have one of the better systems in the sport. And when you're talking about Arias, and where he stands, and the fact that the Indians got three of their top 11 prospects, according to MLB Pipeline's most updated rankings, you're talking about guys that, that could be hovering in the top five of other organizations. It, it does bear noting that that these three prospects are in a system that's pretty loaded.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you look at where these guys are, are ranked, you don't want to necessarily... Um take it from where they're coming from and think it like, okay, so if you look like fan graphs, which is one of the main places I usually look when it comes to other people's system. Um, Joey Cantillo was number 12 and Gabriel Arias was number 16. Now, just because they're 12 and 16 in their system, that doesn't mean they're 12 and 16 on every system. It's not a one-to-one translation. Every system is different. And the Padres, like you mentioned, like you mentioned, one of the best systems in baseball. And, heck, they were able to make six trades without giving up their top three or four prospects. I mean, that system is incredible in what they're able to do to acquire all the players they did. They just had a lot of roster turnover. So, you know, Gabriel Arias, maybe 16 there, and MLB Pipeline has him at five for the Indians, and it looks like they have uh, Joey Cancilla at 15. That seems about right for me. And that's to say, the Indians also have a great system. The Indians don't have the Padres system because the Padres have a lot of upper-level talent in their system. That's for Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino, C.J. Abrams. Well, he's at A-ball, but uh, they had Taylor Trammell before they traded him. They have a lot of guys that were at the upper levels of the system. And the Indians' strength right now, and, and, and they are hurt by this, not being able to play this year, um, all lies, you know, about – A to A, high A, and even below that, they have a lot of exciting prospects there. So, I think people shouldn't look at the rankings before they came in. They should look at the players relative to the system they're coming from and the system they're entering.
1: Justin, why don't you think the Indians got a more significant bat?
0: That's a tough question, right? I mean, the best bat that got traded on the trade deadline day was – Stalling Marte, right? Like, we didn't see a better back move, move teams this um, no. August 31st than that. And, and and we talked about selling Marte on, on this podcast. I don't know if we talked about this podcast, but on the post game show Yes. on Twitter multiple times, people have been asking us about selling Marte. Would have been a great fit here. Um, I think you and I both, and I, I mean, maybe it was an unfair uh, comparison to look at the Trevor Bauer trade a year ago and say, okay, well, the Indians are going to get a comparable deal for Mike Clevenger. Um, and they didn't walk away with a Fran Mill Reyes type back because Fran Mill Reyes was, you know, maybe the best player in that trade. Right. And they didn't come away with a bat that good. They came away with a bat that might be good and, and, and Josh Naylor, um, but didn't come with, with Reyes' track record in the major leagues. They just happened to get um, a bullpen piece ready for this year, and they happened to get a couple of their prospects that were better than the prospects they got in the Trevor Bauer deal. So they kind of tried to go for a balance more of, of short and long-term um, than they did a year ago because, you know, they had Fliegue as a rental a year ago, and I think this year they did more balance for the long-term.
1: How do you think – We've heard that he could be used as a starting pitcher, down the road. But for now, Cal Quantrill is going to help out this bullpen and help bolster it. What kind of a role do you think he serves as this season goes on?
0: Yeah, I think he can fill a really important role. He is, I mean, I'm excited about all these plays. I know, I know people want to sit there and they want to grade trades. The day, the they happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the nature of sports, right? We want to grade things instantly. We want instant reaction. That's 2020. And that's, that's sports. We want to know the winner and the loser right away. And I, I'm really excited about the two pitchers because I'm excited about Gabriel Arias, but I'm excited about Quantrill because Quantrill has a lot of characteristics that the Indians love. He's a strike thrower. Um, he's got a baseball bloodline background. You know, his uh, father, Paul Quantrill pitched in the major leagues for a number of years, um, has a great change in fastball. The, the breaking stuff needs work. I think this year, you know, I think Chris Anthony said he'll, he'll pitch out of the bullpen. He could start, maybe next year, I really like his fit in the bullpen. I've been saying for a couple days now, the Indians, if they don't, if they can't find themselves an impact bat, a reliever is a great way to go because I would like to see them force out maybe the last roster spot on the end of that bullpen, maybe a Dominic Leone, hmm. and replace him with another high-leverage reliever. And for me, Quantrill can fill that role because he's got a good sinker, a good two-seam fastball. He has great command of it. Um, his slider has taken a step forward this year, even though it's not a great pitch. It's it's now a a better pitch with his fastball and the bullpen. His changeup's really really good, and he's not a strike th- he's not a, a strikeout machine like like uh, a James shack, But what he does well is he suppresses contact. He does not give up a lot of hard contact. He saves off the barrel and he keeps the ball on the ground. Forty two percent ground ball rate. I think that those are some great characteristics to have, and I think he instantly fits in next to somebody like Nick Wittgren and uh, James Karinchak to fill out the back end of that bullpen and take some pressure off some other guys.
1: In this process of everything happening, uh, the Domingo Santana chapter and Cleveland Uh four plate, I think I just heard him drive by, uh, in 84 plate appearances, he hit 157 <laughs> with a 583 OPS uh, he just did not, it didn't work out. Uh, what did you make of that?
0: I think it was kind of the way things were going to happen. I mean, you saw that he wasn't making a lot of hard contact. He wasn't uh, hitting the ball with authority. It wasn't, you know, he was striking out a lot, which he always does, but um, you weren't seeing the power with him. And obviously he's not there for his defense. And he was the most expendable play on the roster. Tyler Naquin is hitting the crap out of the ball. I think they still believe in Jordan Luplo. They called Oscar Mercado back up and they still clearly believe in him and Delano De Shields. So if they were gonna upgrade a spot, it was gonna be his spot. And you know, they went out and, and is is Josh Naylor an upgrade? He might be. at the statistics in, okay, thirty eight plate appearances this year. It's unfair to grade. Um he might be, and he's certainly more of a long term fit to Domingo Santana because he has more upside. But yeah, it just it just never seemed like he could Get the ball off the ground. Like I think you just looked at Domingo Santana and you saw him hitting a lot of these ground balls. Like even some of his better hits this year that weren't home runs. Yes. They were ground. They were ground balls that got down the third base line or they got up the middle. I remember that one double. I think it was the last home stand. I think it was Detroit. It was it was Tristan McKenzie's start, and he hit this ground ball, and he hit it hard, and it, it, nobody was at the shortstop spot where he hit it, and it rolled all the way to the left field. And he got a double out of it. But I'm thinking. His hardest hit balls this year, for the most part, had been on the ground. And you get no value out of a guy who's as slow as Domingo Santana when most of his ground balls that are hit hard, or most of the balls he hits hard, are on the ground. So the, the, the batted ball profile just never became anything that was productive this year. And he was the easiest you know piece to cut because he was cheap and um, the Indians didn't have long ties to him like the rest of the guys in the organization.
1: We had our trade deadline special, our trade deadline spectacular on Sunday night. Record-breaking, right? <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, record-breaking. I'm, I'm trying to look back right now. We had 9,000 viewers on Sunday night. We had, I think, over 20, 30 calls. So it was it was wow. a lot of fun. And we had a couple of fans asking, why is Nolan Jones untouchable? Can you explain why?
0: <laughs> okay. um, um, he's got a major league approach to hitting that's the best thing I can say is he he kind of has that Carlos Santana approach where he's just not going to swing at anything he doesn't think he can do damage with and he's not going to get himself out um, I think people sometimes will look at Nolan Jones' strikeout rate and be a little concerned but it's not because he swings and misses a lot it's because he's extremely patient and works deep counts and sometimes that lends you to Swinging at a pitch on strike th- on strike two, you don't want to swing at because you're protecting, um, but also because you know you're too selective. I don't know that his future long term is at third base, but to me, I think he's going to hit enough to play outfield or first base. The bat's probably not as good at first base as it is at third in the outfield, but it's good enough. I, I'm not sure how he'll hit left-handers, but as far as untouchable, I mean, yeah, I mean, he. he I think he's exactly like. He's not a switch hitter like Santana, unfortunately, but that's the best thing I can think is, as he's a guy who's going to get on base 34 to 35% of the time, and he's going to hit you 25 home runs a year. And I'm not sure where he plays defensively, but a guy who, who can put up an, uh, an OPS over 800 every year is a guy you want to be able to start, whether it's third base or the outfield. And he's just a really hard working kid. And I think that's, They've had a hard time developing those kind of bats over the last couple of years. And I think he's, he's closer. I think he could play this year. I know fans have claimed it for him to even come up. I think he could play. I think he'd he'd do fine, but um, obviously they'd rather bet on somebody that's had some majorly experience before. You are
1: intrigued by Joey Cantio. Why?
0: A lot of character, again, like Quantrill, a lot of characteristics that are, that the Indians really love. So I did get to see Cantino a little bit when he pitched for Fort Wayne last year. Um, and I you know, we, I talked to a couple of people who have seen him as well. And um, already has a plus plus changeup. So he already has a double plus secondary. And he's kind of like Tristan McKenzie. He's not built like Tristan McKenzie. He's not rail thin, but he's long. He's got long legs. He's got a big wingspan. And, you know, like Jim talked about, he has some deception with that fastball because. The arms are so long and he can extend his arm out there. So the fastball, while it may only be 91, 93, and I did see some reports of him hitting 94 last year, um, it plays up beyond that because of the extension because he releases it so close to home plate. And it's such a funky arm angle. And I also like, he doesn't have great curveball right now, but he kind of has the the high arm angle and the release point that is going to help the backspin on that curveball. So he's going to wind up Um, having a curveball that's hard to pick up when all things are refined. And everything I've read says that this kid is off the charts makeup-wise. He has a consistent routine. He works hard between starts. He's very mature, knows what he wants to do between starts to get better, and and is a competitor on the mound. And if you know anything about the Indians, you're shaking your head right now or you're nodding your head right now listening to that because that's exactly the kind of guy it needs target, and those are the kind of guys they get the most juice from the squeeze from.
1: Does today's trade happen if Mike Clevenger doesn't go out in Chicago?
0: Probably, yeah. I mean, the Indians got. I mean, the Indians clearly felt like this was the best offer. Don't you think? I mean, Chris Ansonetti said that they would have done this regardless. He was going to be traded this winter anyway. We both ever be agreed on that? I think you and I both did. And um, if they got the offer they wanted from Mike Clevenger, they were going to make the trade, whether it was today or if it was December thirty first. So. I I absolutely think it would have happened regardless, don't you?
1: I do. Uh, I I don't know if it would have happened now because I also don't know what Mike Clevenger would have done during the 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 gap in which he was out, and and if he continued to pitch as well as he has, and he's performing like a like an ace, then. I think it might've made it harder to, to totally justify if he was at that level. I'm not saying he isn't an ACE. I think he is an ACE for the Padres, but I, I, I he was start. he had some struggles. He had some struggles uh, before the Chicago incident. There was no question about that. And I think the Indians combined with the fact that it would have taken more financially and the fact that he's going to be 30 and he's been injured. I mean, in the last five years, he's been injured in parts of, I think four out of five seasons, but I think that this trade was, was going to happen. I'm just not sure if it would have happened like this, but I think it makes sense for both sides. I, I just I, I get the sense from tribe fans, like any fan, uh, that they wanted something bigger, but I don't think in a 60 game season you were going to get that. Uh, but and, and Chris Antonetti said there were not many MLB now players, hitters that were being acquired that they felt totally fit into their zone. I know the Starling Marte stuff. I get it, but you know what? Um, I don't know if the Indians would have as much for their future uh, if they made a deal like that with the Diamondbacks. In fact, there's definitely not a chance they would And there's there's fans and followers that get upset that the team quote, you know, that they didn't go all in or that they didn't try for now. The end of the day, the Indians do not ever want to end up in the position like the Royals and the Tigers have been in. And I can assure you, they're not going to end up in that position. You know, I, I think that at the end of the day, this team's lineup, the, the players that are in it, Ramirez Lindor, Santana Reyes, hopefully uh, Naylor adds something towards the bottom third. But, you know, Roberto Perez, if, if Friday was any sign, maybe there's a better sign. The the players that they had on the roster have got to hit better and have got to hit more consistently. That's going to mean more than any one player the Indians could have acquired, even if they had gotten Starling Marte. I know that would have been a boost, but the other guys around him were still going to have to to hit more consistently. That's just a plain, simple fact of the matter. So I think the Indians did fine. You know, one takeaway, Justin, is the Atlanta Braves did not end up with a starting pitcher. I mean, that – that, to me, is mind-boggling. They clearly need one. They didn't end up with one. So you can't say, oh, Atlanta made a move. They got a starting pitcher, and they, they gave MLB-ready talent. It didn't seem like they had a lot to give when, when they were mentioned as a potential partner. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, I didn't see it. Everybody was looking at Grishick. I didn't see why they would trade Grishick, and he's owed a lot of money. So there wasn't a mm-hmm. whole lot that made sense for the Indians I think I know people are saying this is weird. There's some columns written that say that are critiquing it and whatnot. The fact is, we don't know today if this trade was the right move. And that's the part that people are struggling with because they felt like the Indians need to get better in the now. And, that you know, stop. Here's my last my last thing here. Stop thinking the window is closing when Francisco Lindor, if and when he is out of town. That's not a fair take. This organization has done too well, and they're developing talent too well, and we've seen it with the pitching, and I still am always a firm believer. You go as far as your pitching takes you, and that's on display right now. The Indians' offense has stunk at times. They're still in first place. You know why? They've got an unlimited amount of pitching depth, so much so that they could just trade Mike Clevenger away for players of the future, including a couple of arms that I think they're intrigued by. So I I just – Don't get into doomsday. Neither of us are in that mode. But don't get into negativity zone. I think it's just hard because you don't know if you won the trade on the day it was made. And you know what? That's okay. Because when you have a developmental system as good as the Indians, I know it doesn't help significantly now. But at the end of the day, the players that are in this lineup, I go back to this point, have got to perform better. That matters more than any bat they could have brought in
0: both said yeah i I definitely agree we cannot judge this trade i know know, like i said the nature of sports is we want to judge trades the minute they happen that's just how we are in 2020 with social media and and sports and i know i'm sympathetic to the fans who who would say you know what you have good players just keep good players Why, why why do you have to do this when you're developing good players keep them here and win with your good players um I'm not here to carry the water for ownership. If you think they need to spend more money and keep certain guys, that's fine. I get it. These guys had a lot of money to buy this team. Um, Also understand that just because the Indians are worth whatever, a billion dollars value-wise, doesn't mean the Dolans have a billion dollars to go out and spend. That just means that's what they're worth if they were to sell the team. So keep that in mind. But neither of us are sitting here saying, you know, This is the right move, and the Indians can't afford this. They can't afford that. So this is why they have to make these trades. Neither of us are saying that. We're just talking strictly in the parameters that the Indians operate, how Chris Ansonetti and Mike Turnoff are handling the situation. And you're right. The the window does not close after Francisco Lindor. Are they going to be a better team without him? Probably not. No. They're going to have to supplement any other areas of the roster with which they're not – spending on him with other pieces they have to add to the roster around whoever's going to replace him with that, you know, with that money and that space to get better. But the window's certainly not over. This is a great system, and this is part of why they're going to have a chance is because they just traded Mike Clevenger, and they they have more arms coming. I mean, Chester McKenzie is, is up here now. We think he's up here to stay. You know, Joey Cantillo is interesting. Um, we haven't even seen Scott Moss this year. And don't forget, you know, Daniel Espino is an arm. I think it's gonna move fast when he's able to pitch full time next year at a level. Ethan Hankins, maybe not, but he's you know just as good. There are so many guys in this organization that can pitch. They know what they're doing, they have to trust their ability to develop pitching. And where they struggle to develop hitting, they can turn around and trade that pitching into hitting what they can't develop. And People may not be impressed with Josh Neal right now, and I don't know if he's going to hit long-term. I don't. He's got a track record. He doesn't strike out a lot. He's got, sorry, he's got a minor track record. He doesn't strike out a lot, so that's a positive. Um, he, You know, he potentially fills a spot next year at first base because we don't know what's going to happen with Carlos Santana. Um, I'm willing to give him give him the, the opportunity to do it because a lot of guys in this team strike out a lot. Brandon LeRae strikes out a lot. Um Bobby Bradley, if he was to fill that role, he strikes out a lot. You need a guy who's going to put the ball in play, and if they can tap into his power, um, they're going to get a great return on him. Okay, Mike Clevenger for Josh Naylor trade up could be a win if, if Josh Naylor turns into the player that he's capable of turning into. That's not including Gabriel Arias. Oh, hey. That's not including what was that? It's a great point. Yeah, I mean the, the Indians. Remember, the Indians only gave up two years. They're giving up what? two in two years. So what, like 30, if you consider Mike Clevenger getting 64 starts over the next two years and four more starts this season, you're giving up 68 starts of Mike Clevenger. I know the playoffs are included in this for Josh Naylor, for Gabriel Arias, for Cal, for Cal Contre, for Joey Cotillo, and for Owen Miller. You're getting, and if just two of those guys pan out into productive major leaguers, that's a great trade for, long, for value long-term. And if Mike Clevenger helps the Padres win the World Series and people get pissed about that, I don't know what to tell you. And look, just because one, one team doesn't have to win the trade, it can be an even trade for both sides. Both sides can win. The Padres can go to the playoffs for the first time in, in, in I don't know, how long, 2008, 9, 10, I can't remember how long it's been for them. And Mike Clevenger could have a whale of a start in that first game. And Josh Taylor could turn into a, a, a very good-hitting left fielder for this year, and Gabriel Ayres could turn into Javi Baez, and, and look, both teams win. You know, you don't have to win or lose. It's hard to judge this year when you have guys like that. Here, the question I have here is this on the trade, and I know people want to declare winners and losers. Like I said, do you think the Indians are a better team today, John, than they were yesterday on, the major, on a major league level?
1: No, I, on a major league level, yeah. no, I don't think that they're a better team today than they were yesterday. I don't, I mean, why not? Because I, I just don't think that I think it's a bit of a pipe dream to expect that, uh, that the players that they just brought in are, are going to be as good as, as we're bringing them out to be in 2020. I, do I think that Josh Naylor is going to come in and hit the ground running and be a great hitter or, or, be a, a really good bat, and you could say they don't need a great hitter. They just need something better than 150 in the bottom third of their order. I I don't think that Josh Naylor, Cal Quantrill, and Austin Hedges are outweighing Mike Clevenger in a playoff series in October. Now you ask me, are they better today at the major league level? So my answer to the mm-hmm. question is a hard is a hard no. It's it could merge. That doesn't mean it can't change. Like I'm not a stubborn. Person and going to sit here with my take. I think that this move is more about what, what they got in three of the Padres' top 11 prospects in a top seven, eight, some, some believe a top five type of prospect system in Major League Baseball. At the, at the end of the day, they're a, a top quarter of the league prospect system in Major League Baseball. I think that's where the benefits come. I don't think the Indians are, are much better uh, by the talent they just brought in. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're better at the major league level when you're giving away someone as good as Mike Clevenger. But that's why you pile together the prospects. And that's why in this deal, they did get players with a lot of untapped potential. Right now, I'm saying no. That could change. That's Potential's a word. It it could change. If Josh Naylor comes up and provides the boost that the Indians hope he does their, their outfield, then wow. I mean, wow. That would surprise a lot of people, because people think that this guy uh, can come in and make contact, and he doesn't strike out a lot, and he delivers quality at-bats. But I don't think people think that that he's going to overwhelm them with what he does offensively. Perhaps he will. Perhaps he'll surprise us. Hedges is a nice addition, but he's a backup catcher. And Quantrill adds to a bullpen. He's an intriguing piece, but the bullpen's been doing well. I mean, the the bullpen's in a a good place already. They didn't need a huge upgrade. They got upgraded, and that's nice. I don't think at the Indians today at the major league level are better than they were yesterday. I don't.
0: Okay. I, I do agree with a lot of your points there. This this trade is not specifically about getting better in 2020. right? And I know that's the frustration for some fans and I get that, but let me, let me break it down to you piece by piece here. Let me, let me see if, if I'm not trying to change your mind, but let me see if you can understand why maybe there's some nuance to this. And it's not, it's not, I I do believe the Indians are better today than they were yesterday. Okay. Let's consider that the Indians rotation would have been what Shane Bieber, Mike Clevenger, Carlos Carrasco, Aaron Savali, and Tristan McKenzie. Okay. And they would have had Domingo Santana in left, whoever the heck starting in center field, um, whether it's the Shields or Mercado. Uh, the Naquin Lupula, Platoon, and and right field, and the bullpen as it is? Or do you feel good about this? Do you feel better that the Indians' rotation is Mike Club... I'm sorry, is Jane Bieber, Carlos Carrasco, Aaron Savali, Zach Plisak, and Tristan McKenzie, Mm and instead of running out Domingo Santana in left field, you're running out Josh Naylor, and do you feel better about... Austin Hedges playing once or twice a week than you do Sandy Leon or Bo Taylor. Do you feel better about watching or seeing uh, Cal Quantrill being a, uh, the last reliever in the bullpen than you do – I don't think he's the last reliever, but do you feel better about him than you do maybe Dominic Leon pitching? Do you feel better about all those spots that may have been marginally upgraded and you're only subtracting Mike Clevenger. Because if you believe Zach Blesak can come back and do what he was doing before he was, um, before he got put time timeout for having his head up you-know-where, or do you think the Indians were better running out the outfield they had and still having Mike Clevenger? Because to me, I'm looking at Hedges as a marginal upgrade. I'm looking at Quantrill as a marginal upgrade over Dominic Leone. I'm looking at Josh Naylor as an upgrade by default from Domingo Santana so does that mean that your belief that the Indians are not better right now in 2020 and like you said that could change but is your belief that the Indians were better off with Mike Clevenger in the rotation and Zach Polisak because ultimately that's who makes the biggest difference in the rotation the other guys I think position wise and, and bullpen wise are very are definitely upgrades even if they are very marginal that's fair that's
1: i mean you're right about about hedges he's an upgraded backup catcher i just i, I think
0: it's not a big one no it's no, not a the, huge they're but... not
1: getting anything from the catcher slot offensively to begin with so he can only be a welcome sight i mean he can only the, the bar is not there is no bar the bar's extremely low
0: so <laughs> the that, bar that's is the floor.
1: yeah exactly right um you know, and the outfield has not been good. Um, and and Naylor does have potential, so so sure. I mean, he might pan out for them in their future. And you've got Mercado that gets he gets recalled back up, and the goal is to have Mercado be their center fielder for future years. And Naquin's hitting the ball well and performing in right field. So, you know, maybe maybe these things do lead to them to them being. Uh, here's the thing: I don't think they're, I don't think they're significantly worse. I don't think that they're no. I don't think that they decreased in their their talent if you're going to say that they that they aren't any better. I think the only options are well, they just stayed pat, which is fine if that's what you believe and that's that's where I fall uh typically i'm the the optimistic guy, but i'm I'm going to stand firm with my ground here, and maybe I'll be the idiot who didn't have any faith in Josh Naylor and who didn't realize the fact that the outfield's not hitting to begin with, and he could only add to it so um I get your argument. I think there's two ways to look at it, but I think this is more about what's ahead uh, than what is now with this deal.
0: Yeah, I think for sure is ahead. If if, if the Indians can find a way to, to get Gabriel Arias to cut down on the swing and miss, everybody I've talked to, and we talked to uh, just Jim just before, everybody thinks that kid can be a star. He has all the tools to do it. It's just, there's one thing I think that's preventing it. And that's a big thing to stop getting a guy to, to chase breaking balls in the dirt. But I have heard people say there, there are some semblance, you know, to Javi bias. He may not be as good as Javi bias, but there are some very similar parts to his game. And with how the Indians develop pitching, you know, Cantillo could be in this rotation sometime next year. You know, it's just how good he is, and how advanced he is. So I do agree you. it's about the future um, I think a lot of people just wanted them to get Joey Gallo or Selling Marte, and that would have been great, sure. Um, I think, like I said, I, I just think they they marginally upgraded and and made themselves much better for the future. Like like I said at the beginning of the show, just because Gabriel Arias is like the, the 12th or 16th prospect somewhere else doesn't mean he's not good. It just means that the Padres had a ridiculous amount of prospects to be able to trade. Sure. And he could he could barely, very easily be the best player in this trade. And I think Josh Naylor may not be the best player in this trade. He may not be. That's fine. He may not need to be. It would, it would be nice if he was this year. But, you know, he may not need to be. So we'll see.
1: We will see. Uh, it's not necessarily what Tribe fans were, were hoping for in terms of the Ready Now talent. But I think uh, this team is going to continue – to be competitive and to contend. And I know people don't want to hear that and they want a world series. The fact is this is an unprecedented season and the Indians were able to get value for the future, a future that has unknowns to it. Uh, And potentially if they, if they end up finding their shortstop of the future from this trade and, and, and look, that's, that's a big statement, but if they did, people believe that Arias could be that guy. And if Josh Naylor pans out in the outfield, Austin Hedges is a good backup to Roberto Perez. And Quantrill uh, is able to deliver, and Cantillo pans out a little bit. I know that's the that's the ideal situation, but hey, I mean that that would be very interesting. And also, we don't know; it's not a guarantee that Mike Clevenger's an ace for years to come. The injury issues the mechanics issues. I think Cleveland saw. Uh, not, not what they saw with Corey Kluber kind of the road ending, but I think they saw some more pros to potentially firming up their future, which has some unknowns to it. Uh, and I think that I do think their window, I think their window opened up a little bit more today for the future tribe fans and, and national people are like, Oh, their windows on the closing side of things. If Shane Bieber, Zach Plesac, Aaron Savali, this bullpen and, this move today has shown us anything. It's that to write off the Indians after next season is it's just wrong. It's not a good take.
0: Definitely agree. Um, we've already gone pretty long, but I want to, I want to get out of here on this. Zach please. Zach is going to be recalled. We can talk about Tristan McKenzie's follow-up start. Make um, when hitting the heck out of the ball, people have been saying he needs a play every day. That's all good. The offense still, still needed help. Also Yu Chang has been sent down. Indians had a great series with the Twins and the Cardinals, and now the schedule gets a little bit softer even. Uh, the white, Like you said, the White Sox and Twins didn't do anything. That's a big deal to me. The White Sox and Twins didn't add anything. Also saw today that Aaron Bummer has a uh, a nerve issue in his bicep, and they don't know if he's going to be able to pitch again this year. They're going to try and see. So uh, like I- a lot of things the Indians did. Yeah. They did, and they didn't Neither did they made a move. I can't believe. I, I was surprised the White Sox didn't do anything. They had a great system to deal from, too. I thought they were going to make a move. I, didn't, I wasn't. I thought Minnesota might go out and get a... I thought Mike... Not Mike Meyer, but some kind of under-the-radar pitcher could have helped them, but, you know, whatever. The White Sox, um, I'm surprised, didn't make a move. But I wanted to ask you this. Zach Polisak is going to step into Mike Clevenger's spot now going forward. What was your sense... To, I know you talked to Francisco Lindor on the, Zoom, on the pregame on uh, the Zoom call today. What was your sense from them on... Plesak coming back and how that's going
1: to go. Oh, they're ready to welcome him back. And I'm going to make a bold statement on this podcast right now. Uh, I think that Zach Plesak is going to be a game two playoff starter for the Cleveland Indians this year. I do.
0: Better than Aaron Savali and Carlos Carrasco.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I really think that this kid has what it takes. I think he made a mistake. And you know what? We forget because of a stupid Instagram video. If the stupid Instagram video doesn't happen, I know that's a big F. I understand it. I understand people might be ending the show. Here's the thing. If you made it this far, stay with us.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, Zach Plisak, Justin, reported, well, he was caught, but also was transparent, and he was sent home, isolated from everybody else. If that's all that happened in this, it's a non-issue. He would already have been back by now, in my opinion. But things happen. Stuff happens. It is what it is. Um, I think Zach Plisak's going to come back. He's going to be ready. Clevenger said last week, and if there's one thing we've learned about Clevenger, it's that he's kind of blunt. Not kind of. He is blunt. He's candid. He mm-hmm. said that he's been watching and he's Eastlake, and Plisak's been a beast. He said, if anything, he's gotten better. Now, we'll see if that comes to fruition, but I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I, when he said that, it struck me. And Frankie Lindor said, we're done. We're ready to move on. I think they are ready to move on. And I actually kind of like the fact that Plesak's first start is on the road. I, I think that's, that's a good thing for him. And it's against the Royals lineup, which not exactly is one to write home about. I think that, that Zach Plesak is going to come back. I think he's going to be in very good shape. Uh, And I also think that the Indians don't make the Clevenger trade if they don't think that about Plesek. So I expect him to come back into this rotation and be very strong for Cleveland. And you heard it from me. I think he's a game-two starter. If he's not a game-two starter, it's for no other reason than than, uh, Savali and Carrasco just took off and were outstanding. But uh, I really think that Plesek has something coming here that's special. That's my thought.
0: I do agree with that. I think also Tristan McKenzie plays into that as well. Like you said, they believe in Zach Plays Zach. They believe in Tristan McKenzie. And they believe in their ability to develop pitchers. And you're right. They're going to move on from from the incident. Um, I don't want to say the Instagram post was worse than what he did because he could have put, you know, Carlos Skaraxko's health at risk or Terry Francona's health at risk. And we still wish him the best because he's still out. It was worse. Um,
1: It was worse. I'll say it for you. I, okay. I believed okay. it was worse. It was tasteless. I don't understand why you do that on Instagram. Even Francona said he was disappointed at that.
0: Yeah, I, I do think like, he would I think he would have been back by now if he didn't do that. I absolutely 100% agree with you if he had been back by now. But at the end of the day, okay, the Indians definitely value character. There's no doubt these guys are not bringing guys in the clubhouse. They don't think are, are good workers and good teammates. Like, they just don't do that. And I can tell you that with very much certainty from the top to the bottom of the organization. But at the end of the day, Zach Polisak, who, by the way, will be down 20 days when he makes his next start tomorrow, he will not go to Super 2 arbitration. They did successfully stop him from doing that with this, this move. Um, and Obviously, they're not going to say that. We'll see what happens. But they have him for the next five years at a very cheap cost for the next three. So, at the end of the day, that's why Mike Clevenger was traded because, like you said, he's getting older. He's had some injuries. He's getting more expensive. Sack, they believe in him, like you said, and he is much cheaper and much more controllable. At the end of the day, that's why Sack starting on Tuesday, and that's why Mike Clevenger will be pitching for the San Diego Padres for the next 64 starts.
1: (laughs) Well, that sets up the table for the week ahead, Royals. And then back home against the Brewers with Casey coming in to Cleveland. Once again, Uh, we were in for, for, you know, a softer week with the schedule. We'll see if they can handle business. The Royals have snuck up on some teams uh, as have the Tigers. And, and so that's kind of interesting. Actually Detroit's only four games back now, um, which is kind of weird, but they, they had a nice weekend against Minnesota and the twins, a game and a half back. They're hoping that, that when they get healthy, those will almost be like acquisitions. Uh, we'll see if that happens for Minnesota. They've, they've certainly uh, had to deal with injuries, and their offense is going through a major rut. Uh, so I'm interested to see what happens here in this home stretch. Francisco Lindor told me earlier today this is going to be a lot of fun. He said this is everything you play for. He said he just wishes fans were in the stands because uh, he really had genuine excitement about the way that this is going to go down the stretch. I mean, you got three weeks and change, and you have a, a dead – Heat to the finish line i'm i'm fascinated to see how this all goes down justin and then we'll be here for all of it uh ibi after dark we'll have you covered here throughout uh, the early week we'll we'll probably come in spurts on labor day weekend as it is a holiday weekend and we just uh we did a ton of coverage uh during the trade deadline and then uh well, yeah. we've got you covered here all the way through this 2020 campaign and beyond and i, I think uh it's going to be intriguing to see what happens thanks again to jim russell for joining us on the podcast, yeah. brought a lot of rich perspective.
0: Yeah, follow Jim on Twitter at JimRussellSD. Follow John on Twitter at John underscore Fanta. Follow me at JL underscore baseball. Follow the IVI Twitter account at official underscore IBI. We'll have post game for you most nights. Um, we'll try to mix and match. You can't make it over the Labor Day weekend. One of us will be on, hopefully. Um, stay tuned for the finish of the <laughs> it was the mid-season re-ranking of the top 51 prospects, and now there are two prospects to introduce there. So, uh, or three, I should say. Yeah. Um, so, three, pro- three new prospects to introduce to that list. So, um, we're going to wrap up the last uh, 15 over the next this, rest of this week, and then we're going to bring you full profiles on Gabriel Arias uh Owen Miller and Joey Cantillo. we're going to have full write-ups on those guys coming soon you have to be an insider so make sure you subscribe if you want to read those reports uh we've been watching a lot of video already we're sourcing uh our some of the scouting reports because these are not guys that have been in the system for a long time but they're going to be good ones we're only going to we're going to give you the best work we can on these guys and uh I think these are prospects you're going to want to read about so if you have the means to do so it's 4.99 a month um and if not, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, please continue to listen. And um, hey, rate review us on iTunes. Everyone else is asking for iTunes reviews. Go out and, and tell us what you think. Um, give us a five star review. And then if you think we stink, say that. But just give us a five star review anyway, just so we can bounce up the rankings. Um, from John, from Jim, I'm Justin. Uh, we will probably talk to you sometime next week if you don't join us on the post game show. Thanks for listening.